0: Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Real Talk with Real Leaders. I'm so excited to introduce to you my dude, Adam Dorso. He's the executive director of LEAD NYC, and he's with us. There's a lot of other things I can say about him, but I just so appreciate him being on for this conversation that I believe is going to be a blessing to all the people that are here today. So Adam, it's good to see you, man.
1: Man, Jamie, man, I was, I'm was i privileged. I count you a friend and a brother. I uh, love doing ministry with you and together. And so I know this is going to be a blessing to lead us all over the place.
0: I love it, man. I mean, it's about two years ago, maybe two to three years ago, where we reconnected. And uh, it, it was probably like something like 15 uh, years ago that we connected. But I don't think you remember that first time. So I had to get a picture for that occasion now I'm not posting it up here but I did send it to you
1: (laughs) And you you also you also uh put it up the last time I preached for you I think and uh and and put it up on the screen so as I um I actually had hair I think in that picture uh back in those youth ministry days but this is what you call 24 years of ministry in New York City so (laughs) you know i
0: that means I'm
1: doing it wrong because your, your hair looks great.
0: <laughs> well, you, you're rocking both of them well, um, so it's a, whether it was hair or no hair, you do it well. So I, I don't know what that's going to look like um, for me to do that, but I'm, I'm hoping I turn out as good as you when it comes <laughs> to having no hair. <laughs> so anyway, that was just—it's just fun to have that kind of history, that background with uh, leaders and people that are still doing it, being faithful, keeping their hand to the plow. And you're one of them. And I just, I mean the three years ago that we reconnected, man, I just really enjoy conversing with you and I'm glad you can be here for this time. So let's do this. Um, uh, we'll yeah. start real easy. Um, okay. What's been the most challenging thing you've had to adapt to? Um, was it figuring out the haircut thing? Maybe not. You just, you know, shave at right home. Yeah.
1: Your everything has been an issue for me. <laughs>
0: you know, people have tried to figure out, like, how are they helping their kids in homeschooling, <laughs> cooking from home, working from home. I'll tell you, for me, it's been the sermon prep thing. It's hard. Like, I'm, I'm used to having, like, you know, later on in the week where I'm, you know, coming down from Sunday and preparing myself to go up into the next Sunday, preparing that thought, uh, having some time to put it together. Things like that, where now it's like, man, as soon as Sunday's done, it's like I'm already thinking in the beginning of the week because I have to We there's like pre-recording. And I'm sure other people are doing that, too. It's like got pre-record. So you got to get that done sooner. They need to edit it and then put it out for Sunday. That's been the most hard thing for me to adapt to. Uh, Has it been the same for you or something different?
1: Yeah, I mean, I would say that. um, Well, first of all, I've got three teenage children, so I've got 17, 16 and 14 years old, she's about to be 15. So my two sons, 17 and 16, my, my daughter who's 14, living at home 24 seven with their mom and dad, they are not living their best life right now, Junior. I mean, it uh, it is it is a trip to be at home with three teenagers um, and their withdrawals from uh, being around friends and, and and all that stuff. And of course, um, having to do it all digitally, uh, whether it was schooling or, or connecting with friends relationally. Um, I will say one of the greatest joys I've had, um, last year I spent about 130 days on the road traveling, uh, preaching, ministering, conferences, consulting, and uh, what, what, what has been a joy has been being home and cooking dinner. Um, I, I, I love to cook. I grew up in a family business uh, where cooking was a part of that from when I was a teenager, and so my daughter shares the same love I have uh, both for the Mets and for cooking. So uh, my daughter and I connect on that. We've been cooking for the family. I think probably 95% of every meal uh, that my family's eaten dinner since we've been on lockdown with COVID-19 uh, we've cooked together. And uh, and that's been an awesome experience to do it with her, to do it for my family to sit down and eat. Um, you know, we were very transient, you know, again, we you've got older kids, everybody's got their own life. Who's got tennis, who's got, you know, rehearsal for a play or a drama, they're into the school, all those different things, my travel schedule, preaching schedule, um, and so to be able to be home and to take the discipline of, um, of, of making sure I appreciated the season, that I appreciated the journey in this season, and not just look for the escape route, not just look for the exit, but appreciate the moment. Uh, That's been awesome. I'll just say one more thing, Jamie. I think the other thing I've learned during this season is I really had to become self-aware about the things that refill my bucket and the things that drain me. And as somebody who's an extrovert, somebody who loves to preach, somebody who loves to be around people, um, I realized after the first four or five weeks that um, I I was feeling sluggish. I was feeling drained. I felt like um, I wasn't as um, vibrant And as I processed that with some of my coaches that I have in my life, um, I I realized that some of the the travel, uh, some of the preaching on a Sunday at a church, um, even though I was physically exhausted, they were actually things that triggered uh, refills and they re-energized me. So I might've preached three times at a church and been physically exhausted, but I came off that plane um, emotionally and spiritually charged because of the experience and not having that uh, or having to do that in a virtual space where you don't hear amens and you don't get to hug people and you don't get to worship quite in the same way um, I needed to be self-aware and how that was impacting me how it was impacting the people around me uh, and make sure that I did the things that were necessary to make sure I recharge and refill my bucket
0: that's good you know I think we all had to find ways to adapt to find ourselves being filled up while you're that kind of leader that I was thinking about that, man, you're that Italian extrovert and I'm like this Hispanic and I could be more introvert. Mm-hmm. Uh, but still there was things that with the distancing calls for me to say, man, how am I going to recharge? Cause I'm giving myself and some of that stuff is life giving. And some of those things are a little bit more zapping and we have to do them all um, in order to help people. But being self-aware, I think is key. So I'm glad you shared that um yeah, you had absolutely. an inc- you had an incident um some time ago um if you want to take some time to share about it because it leads me to to this question it's one thing for us to steward like what is what we expect is going to be happening and have a predictable future um but how do you steward the unexpected you know what 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 does that look like when unexpected things are thrust upon you and now it's like how do I do this well and do this right
1: yeah so um, it literally came the day after my 20th wedding anniversary Uh, Mm -hmm. so I'm uh, with my wife in Manhattan Uh, my office is in Battery Park um, and lower Manhattan right by Wall Street and so I was working that whole week in the city My wife came uh, into the city and we went out for dinner together to celebrate our 20th anniversary and she spent the night, uh, we spent the night at a hotel that night and the next morning I went into work and um, uh, it was uh, December 5th, Uh, I had led one of those first Thursday early morning prayer meetings that I lead that are 25 years in the making and Uh, We went from there straight into multiple other events throughout the day. We do a major uh, advanced leadership intensive training for uh, ministry senior leaders and church senior leaders. We have two cohorts that are going on uh, that day. And somewhere around three, four o'clock in the afternoon, my assistant walks into my office and she says, "Uh, Pastor, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I'm I'm okay. I'm fine. She goes, "Um, half of your mouth isn't moving. And I, I just kind of brushed it off. I'm used to working a lot of hours, Jamie. You know that, man. I, 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 my average work, we can easily be 55, 65 hours a week. And so I just kind of brushed it off. I was man, I must be tired. Uh, I continued to uh, handle my meetings till about six o'clock that evening. And that's when um, she came in again and said, no, I think you need to go to the hospital. Um, I went to the bathroom. I walked, put some water on my face, thought, man, I'm just going to wake up. Uh, but literally... Um, realized that the left side of my face had become completely paralyzed. Um, facial paralysis had set in. Uh, they got me an Uber. I Ubered to the hospital, um, arrived at the hospital. They ruled out a stroke immediately, um, but they basically let me know that I had Bell's palsy, that I had um, what they really can't understand the cause of. Uh, but produces facial paralysis. Some people say it's viral, so they kind of inject all these antiviral meds in your body along with steroids to get them a jump start, see if that works. Um, I've done some holistic medicine, um, acupuncture, those kind of things. They believe that um, uh, kind of um, Eastern culture would say it might actually be a cold wind that causes it. Um, most prevalent thought really has led to. It's probably a, um, a, a sustained uh, stress and exhaustion. Um, and so I hadn't really been taking care of my body. I hadn't been listening to it. Um, I had been um, come out of Movement Day in October, just kept hitting the ground running, kept moving, uh, continuing to press in. Um, and work harder and harder and the truth of the matter is I wasn't listening to the body signals and often what happens is the things that you can't contain on the inside will manifest themselves physically on the outside and um, and so I genuinely believe it was a result of uh, long-term exhaustion and stress and so uh, I did everything the doctors told me to do in that season and my pastor Pastor A.R. Bernard said you need to listen you need to pull back this is the time to stop I you know I had trips to Africa scheduled for December I was going to be on multiple planes All of a sudden, all that comes to a screeching halt for December, all the way through the middle of January. Uh, And I needed to make sure I was listening to my body. I needed to be listening to the voice of the Lord. I realized that in the busyness of what um, I was doing, um, I was continuing to work for the Lord, but it was outpacing the work of the Lord in me and needed to make sure that I came back to center on that. And uh, oftentimes, especially leaders that are, are gifted, God's giving you influence, God's using you in a great way, we can confuse that with our intimacy with God. And so um, I needed to make sure that I went to a quiet place. You know, Elijah had to be alone to hear the whisper, that gentle whisper, that gentle wind that came. uh, He wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. Um, You know, uh, Jacob wrestled after everybody else had left, after he had sent everybody else away. That's when he wrestled with the Lord. And so um, it really was a season where I needed to make sure that I was looking inward, uh, that I was hearing what God wanted to say to me, Um, I continue to go to doctors and now it's been about seven months. My, uh, my face is about 95% restored and, uh, it's, it's actually been coming back more rapidly in the last three weeks, um, which they said would happen. And so, uh, it's really, it's really difficult when you ask the question, well, what do you do when you have to steward the unpredictable? Mm -hmm. Uh, I mean, the truth of the matter is when, when, when I'm given a roadmap, when, when I can see, you know, I got to get from A to B. Okay, I can function well in that. I can cast vision for that. I can bring people along for the ride. What happens when something all of a sudden happens that changes the direction, changes um, what you're dealing with in a moment? And what I've just found is you've got to lean in in that moment to not just look for the exit, but to look for the lesson. Um, I've got to lean in in that moment and say, okay, God, I want to steward this moment well. What are you trying to say to me? Why would you allow this? Because I'm not saying God caused it, but I will say he had allowed it because if the steps of righteous men are ordered by God, if God is the Lord over my life and, um, and, and it's not the result of, of sin, he's allowed this in my life to obviously teach me something because all things must work to the good of them that love him and serve him. And so mm-hmm. I've learned, Jamie, that in the season where something comes and it's not predictable and it's genuinely something that just takes, comes out of nowhere and takes you off course, What do I need to do to lean in and listen to the voice of the Lord in that season, even more intently than the other seasons that I've been
0: in? Yeah. I'm so glad you um, gave some, some background and some detail to what you had experienced because this was before the COVID hit and everything else. So you were already stewarding the unexpected on, on a personal basis. And now, you know, people are finding themselves having, you know, it wasn't Bell palsy or anything like that, but it was stuff that sort of had their world in a lot of ways paralyzed, and they were like, "What do we do with all this? And how do we adapt?" Uh, but you were already working out that uh, new rhythms and adapting and learning how to lean in, where I think that was great. How you were able to learn from that, and I think it's something that's applicable over here whenever we face things that are unexpected. You know, on the pra- practical side, some of the things I do is I try to put the problem on paper, you know, I'm like, what, whatever it is, because sometimes it's hard to define what's happening, where yep. yours was a little bit more, you were able to, um, you know, define what that was, because I believe whatever is nameless, we end up being powerless over, as soon yes. as we can give something a name then God can give us authority over it. So I put my problem on paper um, and then I try to attack it with as many solutions as possible, like from all angles and kind of how they were uh, giving you all this type of medication, just as many solutions as possible. Um, And then people just need to be aware when they're stewarded unexpected after they do that is you're going to make some mistakes in all that or not everything's going to work out. So just adjust and keep doing what's working. If you can do that with the unexpected, that's the stuff that I've attempted to do here with um, what's happening with the pandemic and things with church and life and family. I just put the problem on paper, things that we're trying to solve and do all that stuff. And it's been helpful to me.
1: Yeah, fa- failure is only failure if we don't learn from it. So, you know, it's, it's okay to give ourselves permission in this season to realize that because of the unpredictability of what we're seeing, we're going to have to, we're gonna fail. We're gonna make mistakes. Matter fact, if you haven't failed, you're not you're not leading. You know mm-hmm. leaders fail. We we make mistakes, we get back up. And um, you know, the thing about COVID-19 that's been very interesting and, and I think is a really good leadership lesson has been we keep hearing two words, essential and non-essential. Who's an essential worker, who's not an essential worker, right? What's an essential business, what's a non-essential business? For Christians and for leaders, we have to determine what is essential and what is not essential in our life and make sure we don't make the non-essentials essentials essentials and make sure we cling to the essentials and don't lose those things. And so I think this season has brought to the forefront the things we can do without. Um, You know, I'm a big sports fan, Jamie. I love the Mets. Um, I love the Yankees. I love uh, football, basketball. I love it all. Uh, And all of a sudden, you know, from one week to the next, we went from, you know, uh, sports to not having that. And I realized, you know, I I wound up how much time I was spending enjoying good things, but are they really essential? Not that I won't enjoy them again, but how much time and how much space do they take up in my life so that I ensure that the non-essential things, the things like my love and intimacy for God, the things like my love for my wife and my three children, the things for uh, the, the the increase and the, uh, the necessary engagement for maturation and leadership growth, those things are non-essential to me, and I've got to lean into them more heavily.
0: No, that's great. You know, a lot of what we're talking about has to do with adapting to what's happening. So adapting to the fact that some of these non-essentials are things that we don't need to continue on in, especially in a time where it's really important that we're able to focus and lead well, where some some leaders and people were probably sort of tempted to put their head in the sand during this time until the smoke clears and, and things go back to some kind of normal and and for those who did that, they're finding themselves play catch up um, yeah. and the things that they have to catch up on are things like you mentioned, uh, you know, getting those central, essential things down pat and, and leading from that place and leaning into those places. So leaders have had to adapt to these new rhythms and different work ex- assignments. Um, what are these essential adaptations leaders must adopt for times like this? You mentioned essentials. So what what does that look like? What? You know, maybe in a more generic way that leaders should, like should get that this is an adaptation that you should adopt because of the times we're living in?
1: Yeah, I mean, first, it's important that because we're supposed to lead out of authenticity, you look at it personally and inwardly. So what are the areas inwardly that I've got to make sure I define as essential and non-essential? That's what I kind of just alluded to before. Yeah. But then when you think about your leadership role and how it impacts the congregations we lead, uh, how it impacts the uh, other leaders that we lead from the apostolic sense or how we lead our city. Um, There have been questions about what does the new normal look like? Well, a couple of things. Number one, we have trained our people to attend church online although I do believe it's God's will for us to get back in our buildings and not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together, the truth of the matter is we have been released from our buildings and the four walls of our confinement to be able to preach the gospel across the internet in a way that is going to stay around. That's not gonna go anywhere. Mm -hmm. Doesn't mean we're not gonna go back to our buildings, but the online presence, the virtual audience is going to be a necessary thing that every leader is thinking about. Plus, I keep hearing the upside from leaders who are saying, hey, we just had a Muslim couple um, that came to our church who would have never darkened the doorstep of our church building, but because they could come through the internet and online, they actually were able to hear the gospel, responded to the gospel, gave their life to Christ. I've heard that about Jewish friends. I've heard that about people who would have been shamed by their families, some that come from a strongly Roman Catholic backgrounds, where they have felt like they had a nominal sense of religion, but really didn't have a hard exchange with Christ. Not saying that all Catholics are in that boat, but There have been some that I've heard, they would have been ashamed to go to a Protestant church, but they came because it was on the internet. They were able to come in the privacy of their own home and wound up having a real experience with the living God. It was Nicodemus, Jamie, who came to Jesus at night when Jesus says, for God so loved the world, he gave us. God doesn't shun the person that comes in secrecy. And so as leaders, we need to recognize the fact that the virtual space, the ability for people to come and visit the the welcome mat, the the awning of your building is no longer the front door. It's Google, it's Twitter, it's Instagram, it's Facebook. It's these live experiences where people are going to get to know you. That's important. The other thing that I've seen too, Jamie, that has been really important is how the government has leaned into the church to step into the places of leadership. Uh, I've been on the phone multiple times with Mayor Bill de Blasio here in New York. I have been on weekly briefings, uh, I'm part of the Clergy Advisory Council for our mayor here in the city of New York. I've been on weekly briefings with the governor's office. I have been on uh, briefings with the uh, White House Task Force. And here's what I've seen over and over and over again. These government officials are looking for leaders of, uh, in the church to step in and lead. And here's the deal. The truth of the matter is, I don't agree with everything that my mayor stands for when it comes to theology. I don't necessarily agree with them on all the precepts. We don't, but, but here's what I've learned. Um, I know I can pray for him. Samuel said, far be it for me that I wouldn't pray for Saul. This was after God had already rejected Saul as king. Um, we understand that if Joseph waits for Pharaoh to agree with him on theology, he never saves Israel. So this is my moment to step into that space And if the mayor is looking for counsel, who better than the church of the living God and pastors and leaders that have a voice attuned to hearing God shouldn't stand up and speak in that space and not just speak to interpret the problem, but speak to give a solution. Joseph not only interprets the problem, he's, he only stops there and says, yeah, Pharaoh, this is what your dream meant. He becomes a cheap magician. That's it. Because he has a solution so the problem, he not only has the revelation around the problem, gives him a solution and a game plan. His his leadership gift is activated in that moment. And then Pharaoh says, you're second in charge of the whole thing. That's where leaders, uh, Christian leaders who are attuned to the voice of God, who are anointed for leadership in this season, must step into uncomfortable places so that we not only have revelatory insight so that we can define the problem, but also that our leadership gifts would be sharpened and aware to what we need to do in this season to counsel those leaders who are inviting us to have a seat at the table.
0: Man, you're preaching now. I feel like I have to pass around a basket, brother. But I love... (laughs) I love what you just said because it, you know, it's exactly that. It's nothing like a crisis to force us into places and positions in which we can be a solution, right? Sure. And so you you started with talking about you know the church in itself. We weren't really taking it serious how we would be you know broadcasting our messages online and what have you. This situation has forced us to really think about the digital harvest and how we're going to reach our people through this forum online. And so I do believe one of the ways that we have to uh, adaptations we have to adopt is creative connecting and communicating. And oftentimes as churches, we've we've lagged behind and God has had to bring crisis to unsettle us and get us out of our boxes and so this got off, out of our box and got us on <laughs> in the airwaves and pushing this stuff out there. So I do think leaders need to think about how are we creatively connecting and communicating, because right now it's this, but in the future it's going to be something else. And where are we going to yeah. be at with that? Is is God going to have to once again like do something to kind of force us in those positions? And I love what you said about Daniel and and Joseph because that's exactly right. A crisis strikes, and And the people of God need to be in those rooms. And if it wasn't for the captivity, they wouldn't be in those rooms. If it wasn't for the crisis, they wouldn't be in the room. And you know, the the, the politicians and and these Mm -hmm. leaders are often surrounded by a lot of that stuff. You always see them surrounded by, you know, magicians and sorcerers and people who know how to manipulate reality. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And we have to be the one who be the truth tellers to the reality. And, and and bring down that frequency that we can distinctly hear because we have the heart, the mind, uh, and, and we can discern the voice and the words of God, that that frequency is something that the majority of what the leaders are surrounded by don't have access to. Mm-hmm. So we come in there with that frequency and with that revelation and understanding. And, may, and I mean, it's like they're discovering gold and now we're in those positions to influence the influencers. So I love what yeah. you're saying that we have to adopt um, or adapt to some of these things that God might be proving us to.
1: And, you know, I'll say this, Jamie, the anointing of God will cut through the noise. You know, when I first stepped into the Mayor's Clergy Advisory Council, I'm still the youngest person on that council uh, at 43 years old. Uh, I was 38 when I joined the council um, I was the youngest, I was a non-senior pastor, I was a non-senior, they had rabbis and imams and all these people in the room, so I kind of took a position, let me go sit toward the back of the room. The minute the mayor walked in, this is the room at, at City Hall, at, in the blue room where he does all of his press releases, we're all at this giant square table, and he sees me and he stops and says, Adam, no, 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 come, sit up here. You don't have to fight your way to the front of the room. When God's hand is on your life, he will draw you out of obscurity and make sure that he shines his light on you for it's his glory. And it's like David, right? He doesn't even get invited in the house when Samuel comes over. And God's like, no, 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 I'll stop the whole thing. I'll shut down the whole party. Y'all are gonna wait to have to eat dinner until my servant comes in the door. Because even when man overlooks you, God sees you. And so you don't have to fight for your seat at the table. Continue to serve the Lord well. Be willing to stand in uncomfortable places. He'll give you a seat at the table. Now, I will say, when you get a seat at the table, steward it well. Be informed about the issues. We got too many leaders that just rely on the anointing. Don't add skill, haven't read well enough, don't understand that in the moment, when the shining light is on you, you've got to step up in that place and make sure that you have the skill to stay at the table you've been invited to. Because as quickly as you're invited to the table, they will welcome you out the door.
0: (laughs) You are absolutely right. Now, I want to change directions a little bit because we're in this time of civil unrest, in this time of racial tension, uh, and maybe some things we can discuss offline. But for the sake of this conversation here, is there wisdom... In adapting for leaders to adapt from being these bold and confident leaders during this time of civil unrest and racial tension to becoming more humble and learning leaders during this time what do you say about that
1: yeah I mean as I alluded to before um, I have multiple coaches in my life Uh, my pastor Dr. A.R. Bernard 46,000 member church here in New York City Um, and has been my mentor uh, even longer than I've served on staff. So I've served as part of the Christian Cultural Center for the last four and a half years, but he's been my mentor for 10. Um, He is a Afro-Latino. You've got uh, Dr. David Ireland in New Jersey. He's got the largest church in New Jersey, has written multiple books on cross-cultural communications. He's, He's consulted and done consultations for the NBA and others. These men have been speaking into my life. These are ones that are informing Um, uh, what I'm processing in this moment, the first thing you need to know is you should not be processing in isolation. Mm -hmm. Because when you process in isolation, you start to uh, reinforce thoughts that you think inside of your own head, because you've got nobody else to be vulnerable and bounce it off with. And what oftentimes, when you have a wrong thought, you've got nobody there that can shape or fashion you and say, that's not correct, or that's not accurate. Having people in your life that you can bounce these ideas off of and share with uh, are really important. Not only are, my, uh, are those two of my coaches and mentors in my life who are both uh, Black, you, I've also got uh, most the majority of my closest friends are Black, Pastor Jamal Bernard, uh, Pastor Matt Thompson up in Boston. These guys are my brothers. And so in this season, they've been informing even how I'm processing. Now, I'll go even a step closer I'm living at home with three teenage kids who are all on social media. I'm married to a beautiful Puerto Rican woman. um, And my kids are half Puerto Rican and we needed to process. We need to process as a family. I needed to process as a man, as a father, as a dad, as a leader, as a pastor. But then we had to process as a family. I didn't want to leave them out of the processing. And my wife had just tremendous insight through this, who's been speaking to our children. And so we began to talk together. We began to pray together. We began the process together. One of the things, even in that processing, I realized was after pastoring for 20 years in my former church, which was led by somebody of the dominant culture, we had stopped multiple services on a given Sunday to pray for police officers that were shot and killed. Now, I'm not saying that that was a bad thing to do, but here's where the error came in. What I realized was after 20 years, we had never stopped to pray for an unarmed black or brown man or woman uh, who was a victim of police brutality or was shot and killed, like or what we saw with George Floyd or Ahmaud Arbery or Breonna Taylor. And so that was something I needed to repent for. I didn't say, God, was this something that was a blind spot in me that I didn't see? And how did that make my other brothers and sisters, I had the process with former deacons that were leaders in my congregation and asked them how they felt in interpreting that. After this process of, yes, humility and and learning and listening and, and just not in any way trying to be an expert on the issue, but just share my vulnerability and my journey, my family and I agreed to go to our first prayerful march and protest. Uh, it was at in Brooklyn. It was outside the Barclays Center. Uh, the guys who were leading it, clergy friends of mine, guys I respect, guys that I love. And it was going to be first, the first Pray March Act rally. And uh, it had been a place where, unfortunately, just a few days earlier, there was a lot of violence outside of the Barclays. But when we gathered 80-plus clergy leaders and over 2,000 church members showed up to pray To march prophetically in the streets of Brooklyn and declare and prophesy the word of God over those streets. Now, what's interesting, Jamie, is normally if I would have been in an environment with other clergy like that, they would have asked me, hey, please sit on the platform, come please be up front. And they asked me in this case to do the same. But I didn't want to leave my wife and my three children behind while I stood on the front lines as a member of the clergy. So for that first march, I decided I needed to be there. Yes, as a member of the clergy, I didn't, you don't take your pastor hat off, your apostolic hat off. You're there in that. That's who you are. That's the call of God in your life. But I was going to march and pray and protest with my wife and my three teenage children together so that we could process this journey together. Since then, we've gone to another march, uh, another prayerful protest. And, um, It has been a journey that we have been on as a family, a journey of introspection for me, a journey where I've invited other leaders who are more skilled and more knowledgeable in this area to help inform my thinking and in multiple ways, a very formative season in my life and for my family. I
0: love what you're sharing because I think we are called to be a model as a people of what it can look like. And part of that modeling that we would encourage the world to also adopt is this idea of listening and learning and being humble in this time. If not, we end up, if we end up being bold and brash, we end up shouting like everybody else, our opinions, our thoughts, our education and what have you. And then we, we miss each other. We, we, we don't connect and it's only in connection and community that we can actually bring resolution to a lot of what's happening around us. So yes, I love it. You know, I think leaders who are, Um, bold and overly confident can be in trouble in times like this to not be a part of what we need to do together and whatever we're going to do together is going to require humility leaning in and learning from different perspectives and not assuming we know it all beautifully said man you know last question here and i asked all these other questions to what i'm really interested in right now and this is this question um just kidding yeah you have a cool way of being optimistic yet still have this ability to prophetically admonish and see things and say things. Um, what are you seeing as you are leading groups of other leaders? Um, what are the conversation and things that are happening? But beyond that, what are you seeing and what are you learning by what is happening around you? And then if you combine it all and say, and then listening to what the spirit is says after you gather all of that stuff, um, What is he saying? What do you prophetically say? And and is it an optimistic future that you see?
1: Yeah, um, you know, my pastor, uh, A.R. Bernard, always reminds me that the prophetic is both analytical to the present and predictive to the future. So, the prophetic mandate is to analyze what's happening in the moment and then to look out, hear from God and be able to declare, right? So even though the people of God are in bondage, there's a voice that's coming forth that says, no, 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 I have a plan to prosper you and not to harm you, to give you a hope and a future. And so what I'm seeing currently in the moment, as I've said before, when we talk about essential and non-essential, those are the things that tend to divide leaders and divide churches and the body of Christ is one church. There's only one body. And it's not under the auspices of what denomination you are or what worship experience you have. Um it really is is Jesus Christ the cornerstone. Are we building this on him who's the chief cornerstone? We're saved by the blood of the lamb. We have one Father and one Lord and one Spirit. And so there is a season that's coming of unity. As I shared with you, we just released the New York Blessing. It was 125 plus voices, eight languages, and over 100 churches coming together to declare out loud, out loud, Lord, bless your people, let your face shine upon your people in this season. And so because we're doing away with the non-essential, we're realizing that the things that really divided us, maybe they weren't such a big deal. Maybe the fact that you worship like this and I worship like this or you read from a hymnal and I worship maybe a little differently or I'm a little bit louder and you're a little bit quieter. Maybe the body of Christ, the manifold wisdom of God is the beauty of unity in diversity and not sameness. It's not that we're all supposed to look or act or worship exactly the same. It's that the beauty of the body of Christ is how creative God is. I mean, if you ever doubted God's creativity Go to an aquarium. If you can see the millions of types of fish in the sea, it's amazing. God is looking for a church that is willing in this season to be united, to put away the things that don't quite matter as much, to make sure that we proclaim the thing that matters the most, which is Jesus Christ is Lord. And the answer to the prayer in John 17, that if we are one, that's how the world is going to know. When we choose to be in authentic, unifying relationship, he commands his blessing there and it breathes the fragrance of life. Disunity in the body of Christ breeds atheism. And so we need to make sure that we are breathing that fragrance of life in this season. It's an opportunity for churches to come together. It's an opportunity in crisis. Like I shared with you before, Jimmy, where we're going to see leaders that are stepping into uncomfortable places, places of government. And those seats at those tables are not going to go away when the crisis goes away. You're going to have a seat at a table for this next season. Now I'll say when I look out, I believe with all my heart that we're going to see a renewal. I believe we're going to see a revival of the church. I believe that we're going to see a a, a shining of the church in a precursor to the soon coming of our king. Uh, I, I believe the coming of our king is near. I believe that obviously no man knows the day nor the hour, but we're closer now, certainly than when we first believed. And so in this season, I believe God is going to pour out his spirit. I believe that he's going to pour out his spirit. We're going to see a continued manifestation of Joel 2 in our day. I believe we're going to see the church breathe this fragrance of life. i believe people are going to walk into our buildings and the tangible presence of god is going to be so strong that people are going to, have to surely the living god is in that place and they won't have to necessarily step into a physical edifice to do it i believe that the spirit of a living god is going to be so strong in these coming days that even our services that are broadcast online literally people no matter where they are because god is omnipresent he's everywhere his power and omnipotence his 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 strength his his is the bruha, the breath of god is going to be firmly evident in the earth in a way that we've not seen before i believe we're coming into a day where the glory of the lord will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea and i think that that's what i see as we move forward and what i believe the lord is saying
0: amen again lock the doors we're going to bring the baskets around once again <laughs> this was phenomenal man i am with you i think you know when when people hear this they might be looking around them and saying, man it seems like we're in the wilderness not in the promised land but that's what the prophets had to do we had to declare before we get there and we're declaring yes. the reality of where god is taking us and there will be springs that come from this wilderness do yeah. you not perceive it so i really appreciate that word I'm i'm with you on that i think the the greatest days are really in front of us. It's one thing to say that when you're in good seasons. It's another mm. thing to say that when you're in uh, controversy and in difficult surroundings. Uh, but that's often the times when God says prophesy to those bones, prophesy yes, to sir. that valley and begin yes, to sir. do that. And so this is a perfect time to prophesy and be optimistic about what's next.
1: Absolutely, Appreciate
0: you, man. And thank you for these words and everything you shared, taking your time for us for this real Talk with real leaders and you are a real leader. Appreciate you once again, man. Thank you, my brother, man. I appreciate you, Jamie. Love you, bro.